0: Welcome to 4,000 Weeks, the weekly audio dispatch from 4K Weeks. I am Spencer, your audio guide to bumbling around in the dark of what the heck we're all doing here this week. And I owe to you, well, first let's just say this, uh, all of this content comes from the weekly newsletter that I send out to all of our customers. And so if you want to get access to the links and the occasional discounts and the new stuff that we are doing and offering, then you should subscribe over there at 4kweeks.com backslash newsletter sign up. Okay, the first thing that I owe to you is the weekly dad joke. So the setup is, oh, first of all, I should say this week's joke is courtesy of Lucy G. Lucy had quite a few good jokes to offer. And so you might be hearing more in the future. And the setup is what has two tongues, but not a single tooth. We'll get to the punchline at the end. In the meantime, it is week nine of 2024. Week nine has arrived, and my younger self would be embarrassed at how much joy I find in seeing the first little bit of daffodil poking out of the dirt. And that's fine. One of my favorite parts about getting older is not being afraid to be earnest. I love something, and I want to show it to you so that you can love it too. And if you're too cool for school, then that's your loss. And to be honest... It's been my loss a lot of times when I was younger, and I regret that a little bit, but no more. If I love something, I'm going to be earnest about it, and I'm going to share it with you. Well, it is time to walk over to your 4K Weeks poster and fill in another square. Are you done? All right, away we go. First off, up top, I want to mention this. We were about 50-50 on emails in response to last week's soapbox about guns in America. And that's about what I expected. One of my favorite things about this poster and the people who buy it and the life philosophy that goes along with it is that it's universally applicable, right? People on all sides of the spectrum see the use in the tool. Um, And that's good. It means there's a diverse set of uh, opinions and stuff here. And so I got about half saying, um, stop talking about politically charged issues and half saying, hey, good for you for talking about politically charged issues. And I got one comment that really spoke to me and I wanted to share it. And one of the reasons that it really spoke to me is because the tone of the email was not strident. It was thoughtful. It was plaintive a little bit. And... It was just a kind and gracious way of saying I disagree with you, which is fine. That is like the definition of civilization. And so here's what he said. This is a quote. What you write every week is special and marks a solemn, thoughtful end to my and many others weeks. I believe you are less effective and might alienate an unknown portion of your audience when you lapse into contemporary political issues. I don't think you changed anyone's mind either. End quote. And I have to say, I agree with that. I agree with nearly all of that. I would take issue with the contemporary political part. I think that it's clear to me that being in your inbox is a privilege. It's an opportunity for me to share my worldview and possibly open up some new avenues of possibility for all of you and for me and for the world at large. And I take that responsibility seriously. This isn't just some stream of consciousness crap that I toss out. And I am sure that I have a lot of opinions that I haven't given much thought to. And and I will tell you in words, and I will back up in actions when reminded to, that I am committed to rooting those baseless opinions out like the cancer that they are. I promise that I won't. And I promise that I haven't put anything into this newsletter or this audio dispatch that I have not given deep thought to. If it's in here, then I think I'm right about it. And while I will endlessly try to remain open-minded because I think that that is a very important foundational skill for all of us and I want to be open-minded nearly to a fault, you still need to bring the receipts. I mean, I feel like Strong beliefs weakly held is a good way to walk through the world. And if you don't know what that means, basically, it's like have strong opinions that you have formulated, but hold them loosely in your hand so that if new information comes in or if someone makes a different argument, you can consider that. And so I want to say I will try to avoid third rails when possible. But if you do find yourself stridently disagreeing with me on something that I have written, then I will hope that you would do a few things. And I I want to point back to the fact that I, I, I said that I promise I won't and I promise I haven't put anything in this newsletter that I haven't thought about deeply. I hold the opinions that I hold on gun control in this country, not because they were put in my mind by some media or given to me, but because I have considered all of the alternatives and it seems clear to me what a reasonable path forward is. So I just want to make it clear that I am not backtracking right here. I am not saying I disagree with anything I have said before and I am not apologizing for saying it. I'm just saying I take it seriously what I say. And I appreciate the opportunity. And so if you find yourself stridently disagreeing with me on something that I have written, number one, email me and tell me why you disagree. Email is spencer at 4kweeks.com. I love... To have my ideas tested, unless you're my children, <laughs> fair to be fair to me, um, I love to have my ideas tested. I would nearly never be angry with someone for telling me why they believe something counter to my belief, even it is even if it is one of my deeply held beliefs. Right? I think that uh, if you were to t- if you were to tell me that everything is outside of my control, even though I do believe strongly that there are a few things that are inside of my control. I would love to have that debate with you to take something that is not political but philosophical. That's number one. Number two, give me the credit that I hope I have been earning. With what I think is a valuable email put in inboxes or a valuable audio dispatch recorded and popped out into the world each week for over a year, I would like to think that I have earned a teensy bit of rope Not enough rope to hang myself, but a little bit of leash. Give me a little bit of leash to propose things that might be uh, the opposite of what you think before you turn red in the face and with spittle coming out of your mouth, tell me that I'm an idiot and don't know anything. I, I would like to think I have earned that just a little bit. And I would hope that you would please keep reading in spite of your disagreement. In fact, that is a truth for our culture. The things that you disagree with are the things that you should you should look into most deeply because why do you hold those opinions? So that's number two. Number three is entertain my ideas. And this speaks to what I just said. It's especially important when you hold an opposite opinion from someone to hear what they're saying and ask yourself, why do I believe what I believe? And how did I come to that decision? Is it something that I have... Debated and thought about for a long, long time, and and with lots of experience and thought, I have come to this conclusion, and so I should hold on to that conclusion and defend it a little bit. Or is it something that I've heard a few times and sounded true, and so I said it? And don't let yourself off the hook in that conversation, right? The person that you should be the most critical of intellectually is the voice inside your own head, and that's one of the reasons. Like I feel like writers are the best thinkers, because you can have a whole bunch of crap in your head that makes zero sense when ha- when it has to be weighed against itself. But if you write it out on paper, it's like, well, hold on, I don't; those two things don't go together. I can't believe this and that, so which one do I believe? Um, interrogating yourself in this way is a mark of integrity and intelligence. And I just want to say again, I am so glad that you are here. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the opportunity to blather on about things that I think are important in a life. And please keep coming back. But hopefully if you disagree with me, you will at least do a few of those three things. So now let's dive into the remarkable weeks. Week nine of 1984, Michael Jackson wins eight Grammys in the 26th Grammy Awards. He and Quincy Jones won Album of the Year and Record of the Year for Thriller and beat it. He was 1,335 weeks old or 25.6 years. And it's impossible to mention Michael Jackson these days without talking about uh, how we excuse inappropriate behavior in celebrities or at least how we have. I don't know. That might be over, but it might not be over. And it's a damn shame because when my daughter was young, she used to love, love, love singing Michael Jackson. And each time I'd be like, I eh, know, no, <laughs> no, Mm, it's hard to hear that and not and not think of the things. And also, poor Michael Jackson. What a sad way to grow up. Anyway, week nine of 1940, Hattie McDaniel became the first African-American woman to win an Oscar when she clinched the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for Gone with the Wind. She was 2,333 weeks old or 44.75 years. And week nine in 1940 as well, Martin Carmen. And Sam Rubin, American chemists, co-discovered the synthesis of the isotope carbon-14, which is used for radiocarbon dating. Scientists who do science in this way, they might as well be speaking a different language. I don't even know. How how do you decide you're going to go discover an isotope? It's a spectacular thing. Actually, I would love to go to a lab and just have someone tell me how they do it. They were, let's see, Martin was 1,382 weeks old, 26 years, and Sam was 1,372 weeks old, 26 years. Interesting. Also, that was 1940, so a long time ago. I would, this is, this, is not, this is a weak belief, weakly held. This is an opinion that is not based in fact. It seems to me that it is hard these days for a 26-year-old to make a groundbreaking discovery in science. Because all the low-hanging fruit has been picked from the tree. What do you think about that? I don't know. Seems true. Seems truthy. Has some truthiness. This week's quote, Life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. Albert Einstein. Life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. Look, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. I didn't know it at first, but it was always in there. And the hard part about betting on yourself is that there are no answers and there is no one to tell you the answers. The clock is ticking, decisions need to be made, and no one can tell you which decision is right. And at the beginning, nearly every day seems like a potential crisis, like existentially, we're going to, this is going to, the ship's going to run aground, or a potential lottery ticket win. And I still forget about this on the regular But the fact is, is that the most important thing to do is to keep moving forward. Gather data, make the best decision you can and do it again tomorrow. There is no perfect decision. There is only the decision that you made, which has given you the decision that you need to make, which will then become the decision that you made, which will give you the decision that you need to make, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Each opportunity, each, Each decision gives you an opportunity to slightly course correct, to make sure you're pointed in the right direction, but you have to keep moving. Life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. Albert Einstein. In the newsletter this week, there's a little link underneath that that is to a delightful clip of Dory from Finding Nemo singing Just Keep Swimming, which runs through my mind sometimes. Just keep swimming. Just keep doing this thing. Come on. We got to finish this thing first before we can decide if it worked or failed. Okay. What I am consuming this week, it has been a beautiful week in Kansas City outside. And so I have been trying to be present and walking outside and playing in the yard with my children. And so there's only a few pieces of content. First, again, the brick. Oh my gosh. Here it is right here. The brick. If you're, lo- if you're watching, this is a delightful device that bricks your phone, bricks all the apps on your phone that you choose. You could select what is useful and what is not. And then in order to unlock your phone, you have to go near the brick and click a button. And it has totally rewritten my phone habits. And I feel like it has added at least two hours of intentional time back to my day. Um, you can email me if you want a 10% off code because I emailed them and said, hey, can you give my audience a discount? Number two, the Ezra Klein Show, Status Games. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guest because I didn't write it in here. But the Ezra Klein Show, Status Games, Polyamory, and the Merits of Meritocracy. Now, you can leave out the middle version there. Um, I I didn't find that portion of the podcast interesting. But Status Games and the Merits of Meritocracy, that's in the first part of this podcast. And it was so interesting to me. And I think about this a lot. Whenever I approach a new, new person, and I'm always... I'm I'm always, I don't know about you, I am always in my head interrogating what I'm doing. Not, some, not always in the moment, but lots of times after the moment and in a constructively critical way, not because I'm beating myself up. You shouldn't do that, but you should say to yourself, why did I, I just tried to make myself look important to that person. Why did I do that? That's weird. It's totally non-essential. And she talks about the guest in this who I, I can't remember her name. She's got a... Uh, article in the newspaper. I don't know. She was interesting. She talks about status games like the leveling game, which is like, we're trying to telegraph like, hey, we're the same person in a in a new introduction or the, I can't remember what she called the other status game where it's like, you know, look at me and look at what I have done. I'm trying to telegraph to you that I'm an important person in the world. And we're all always playing them. And, and my ego always wants to play even though I would tell you that I I don't value that feedback, but of course at a base level I do. And it was really interesting to hear her talk about that. And then she talked about meritocracy and there was a portion of it that I really liked, a portion of it I didn't care for. Um, But the portion that I liked, the quote that I liked was this quote. Because look, I feel like um, I've worked my butt off and I didn't have to do that. And so any of the things that I do have I maybe wouldn't have gotten if I hadn't worked my butt off. But there's also no question that my parents gave me every every tool for success that they could give me except for money, right? They're, they were married up until the day my dad died. They loved me. It was a safe home. We had plenty of the things that a person needs, even if we didn't have all of the things that a person wants. Every, every, every important nurturing thing that a parent can give to a child my parents gave to me. And a lot of the reason they were able to give that to me is because of the status that they held and the status that their parents held, right? I would be a different person if my parents had suffered the indignities of their, their, uh, what's the right word? Cohort? No. Their avatar. If their avatar was African-American, I would be a different person with, with different opportunities. There's just no question about that. And so I've always like towing this balance of, well, I feel like I've worked really hard, but also, you know, maybe I was born on third base. And so this is super interesting. And and also, I want to live in a world where hard work is rewarded because, number one, it's fulfilling. Number two, hard work has built this magical world that we live in. And so, you know, while I do strongly believe that some things should be socialized, which means we all come together and provide a solution because that's cheaper than throwing it out to the market, right? Like if you live in the United States and you're listening to this, I guarantee you that you have a power company by default, not by choice, because that has been socialized. Socialism is not bad in all instances, just like capitalism is not bad in all instances or good in all instances, right? Everything's nuanced. And so, you know, you want to put the incentive where you want the action. I think we clearly want people to work hard. And so you have to You have to give the incentive of reaping the rewards of your hard work. And so she has this sentence, which is really great. Sorry, that was a long lead up. And she was talking about a non-punitive meritocracy. And this is the quote. I'm going to read it. A non-punitive meritocracy. You can think that the rewards that people get are the products of their efforts without thinking that the people who don't get the rewards are culpable or blameworthy. And I think that's a delightful way to think about it and puts the focus on the part that's important to me, working hard and being able to be rewarded without worrying about the the part that is not actually that big of a deal. If, if the people who are working hard and want to work hard are working hard and being rewarded, the rest will take care of itself. There's this delightful TED talk. I think it's by Alain Deboutin, spelled button, where he talks about what poor people in the middle ages used to be called. And it was, I think it literally translates to the unfortunates, the people upon whom fortune has not smiled. And there's a whole discussion here about, about the, the culture of the United States where, you know, anyone can be anything, but that also means that if you are nothing, that's your responsibility too. And it doesn't acknowledge the fact that, you know, we're all born on a different, on a different level. So that was a good podcast. Same as ever, A Guide to What Never Changes by Morgan Housel. This is a book. I liked Housel on The Tim Ferriss Show. I think he was plugging this book because it was in the fall and this book just came out in November of last year. I've been trying to find some foundational beliefs about the world for me. Not not philosophical beliefs, but like growth and the modern, the modern world, I, like Warren Buffett was has said and will say that he just always bets on American progress. He just he spent his entire life betting on the fact that the United States is the best thing going. And so even when there were slight changes ups and downs, he knew that the trajectory was The trajectory, pardon me, was up and to the right. And that's kind of what I'm trying to think about here. I want to have some opinions and thoughts about the future that I can that are anchored in what I believe are truths. And so I've been trying to find those truths. So this book is a bit of research and I'm very early on in and I'm not sure yet if I agree or disagree. There's a few really funny Instagram nuggets. My favorite one this week is one that I believe I will take to my grave that this is the truth and there is nothing you can say to convince me otherwise, regardless of how you feel. And that is the right way to coil cords. And that is the first link. So if you get the, if you get the newsletter, look at that link and, and please tell me how you disagree with me <laughs> about how you should coil an extension cord or a cable or something. And then the last section this week is what I'm thinking about. And what I'm thinking about relates to the, the book, the Morgan Housel book, and it also relates to the book that I finished last week, Read, Write, Own. Chris Dixon, I believe, was who that was by. The past and the future. So, of course, they are both illusions. But that book, Read, Write, Own, which I just finished, has me thinking about the last 10 years and the next 10 years. And I don't know what your life is like, but I am often so enmeshed in the day-to-day—grind isn't the word, because I love it. In fact, every time I go on vacation for longer than two weeks, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get back home to my routine. So it's not a grind, but just the day-to-day cycle of things. that I off, It often seems like this, the, what it all is, this is how it is, this is how it has been, and this is how it will always be. And the beginning of the book Read, Write, Own made me really consider— uh, my experience with the internet as it relates to change. The internet is amazing and I've been using it since about 1994. My dad was an early adopter. We had a computer in the basement that was connected to dial up internet. And I, I can't even remember how he found it, but it, you know, it was clunky. So that's 20 years ago. Is that 30 years ago? <laughs> oh, shoot. Oh, Wow. Time flies. Anyway. So that was interesting. And that was a thing. The internet was a thing back then. It had a certain feel and and it had a character. The internet of today is insanely different than even the internet of 10 years ago. And the reason I use 10 years ago is because it's a long time ago, but it's long enough that we remember. If you're in your forties, you remember 10 years ago. And the same, but the same was true 10 years before that. And I think 10 years is a good marker because it does kind of feel like a, a generational shift, a sea change each 10 years. In 2014, so that would have been 10 years ago, I had used Amazon. I think I had made a few purchases on Amazon and I had used eBay as early as the 2000s because I was in college and I remember that whole experience. And I actually remember when I was in college in the in early 2000s, someone buying a book on Amazon or they're saying they were going to go search for a book on Amazon because he couldn't find it in the bookstore. And I was like, what what are you talking about? So it goes back. But in 2014, I had used Amazon, but only to find some kind of strange long tail items that I couldn't get at Home Depot or Lowe's, like some weird esoteric part I was looking for. And it was clunky and it was difficult and it felt unsafe. I'm not sure if you remember how we were all terrified that using credit cards online was going to mean that somebody stole everything from us. That was a thing that people were really concerned about. Think about now, today, how how freely you are with your credit card numbers. And this is just one example of many, right? The Amazon example is just kind of a big one because like today, we use Amazon all the time and it's hard to even imagine going to the store for items anymore. I mean, occasionally I'll check, oh, wow, it'll, you know, it's $10 and it'll be here on my front porch tomorrow or I can go to the store and... Buy it for $12. Well, that's a no-brainer. But if I can go to the store and buy it for $2, then maybe I'll go to the store or or put it on the list. That's insanely different than 10 years ago. Uh, You know, in 10 years, e-commerce has gone from a difficult, clunky afterthought to an essential daily activity, a part of everyone's lives. And it has made many people that I know multimillionaires. And this is just one example of, of many. If you could think of any service that you use today likely it was insanely different 10 years ago. A great, Another great example of this is software as a service. Software as a service was not a thing back then that most people use. And now every single person wants to get you to pay $9 a month. It's only $9 a month for this thing. It, it took Microsoft a long time to realize that that's the way it was going. But I don't even think you can buy a hard copy of Microsoft Office anymore. I think you only have can subscribe to Microsoft 365. And the reason this matters is because oh oh I have one more thought in the, in the newsletter before I get to what why this matters uh, an interesting point here is there's a ton of money to be made if you can if you can see where things are going i did a calculation if you in 2014 if you put $100,000 into amazon stock first of all most of the world would have thought that was a stupid thing to do in 2014 i googled it you can find uh, articles from 2014 where the stock is tanking. It's had its best years. They're not a profitable company. They'll never be a profitable company. Well, if you had put $100,000 in Amazon stock uh, February 1st of 2014, it would be, and I think roughly, you know, don't hold me to the exact number here, but I know I'm right orders of magnitude, $961,000. So why does that matter? It matters because we all recognize that the world and who we are has changed incredibly over the last five years. But we almost always miss that that has been true every five or 10-year period of our life and will ex- totally be true for the next five or 10 years. Right? We we Oh, yes, everything's changed so much in the past, but it likely won't change much more in the future. And once you realize that you are facing That much change in the medium and medium long term future, it becomes clear how important it is to be intentional about how you want to change and what world you want to live in when you get there. You could be world class at nearly anything if you dedicated a little bit of time every day for the next five years. That's true. That is. That is a true thing. Now, you're not going to be in the NBA All-Star game if you're five foot two and have never played basketball before, but don't use edge case scenarios to distract from what I am telling you here, which is that if you are unhappy with your current situation, five years is zero time for you to change your entire life with 15, 30, 60 minutes a day. If five years from now you are disappointed with where you are, there will be one person responsible for that, and it is the person you are today, because that person didn't commit to doing the little things to take advantage of what is the ninth wonder of the world, which is the change, the the dynamic nature of the world, and you're flowing along in the stream, and if you just do a little bit every day, you can change everything. So that is what I'm thinking about this week. I just think it's staggering to think about how much the world has changed and then how much it's going to change. And maybe with all the talk about AI, maybe you already know how much the world is going to change in the next 10 years. Maybe that is a trope that has been exposed. But I guarantee you, you're not thinking about how much you're going to change in the next five years. And that is actually the thing you can control. That's it for the week. Oh, I've got one last thing to give to you. This week's joke, courtesy of Lucy G. What has two tongues, but not a single tooth? A pair of shoes. When is a dad joke fully a dad joke? When it's full grown. (laughs) Have a great week. I really appreciate you being here, listening. And I really meant everything I said in the first part of this email and, you know, all of it. But in the first part... I take this very seriously, and I hope if you take thinking seriously, that even when you disagree with me, you will hear me out. Have a wonderful week.